Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Compliance Podcast Network channel. Um, we are the Great Woman in Compliance podcast, which is one of the series that you can find on this network, which is uh, owned and run by Tom Fox. Uh, today, I have um, a wonderful guest with me. It's Sarah Haddon, who some of you may recall from a previous episode. I'm Mary Shirley. My co-host is Lisa Fine. Today, Sarah and I will be talking about uh, the idea of crafting a marketing team within your compliance department. And how this episode came to be, its little origin story, is that Sarah was a guest on a previous episode of the GWIC podcast, and this particular idea came up as part of our discussion. And we talked more about how it would be great to do an offshoot episode to talk a little bit more about how this works for us at Fresenius Medical Care in in North America, what we've done and how we've used this team um, because it seems to be fairly innovative. It's not the most conventional idea in the hope that it might inspire some others to think about ways in which they can use a similar um, cross-functional team within their compliance or perhaps even legal department. So with that, I'm going to hand the reins over to Sarah, who just as a a little refresher, Sarah has a marketing background in addition to her journalism and editorial backgrounds. So she will be uh, walking us through some of the key considerations that marketeers make and then um, speaking with me about those um, points of, of interest for how we've incorporated them as a compliance department's marketing team uh, to see how kind of close we are to the professionals. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. I hand it over to you now. Well, and thank you for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here again and particularly happy to get to kind of hijack your podcast today yeah. instead, of, well, <laughs> instead of being the one in the hot seat answering the questions. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that I get to ask some questions. As you mentioned, my background is journalism and I love doing that repertorial thing and digging deep and asking people what I want to know. And with the marketing background, as you said, it really struck me the other day when you mentioned that you had started a marketing team, a a micro-marketing department within the compliance department because I had not heard anything ever from anyone Mm -hmm. about that happening. And -hmm. perhaps it is going on out there, but I think this is a fresh new take on Mm -hmm. how to take your your messages, which may or may not always be welcome or well-received, and how to tailor them in such a way that you really get some traction with your your audience. And mm-hmm. I, I know too, and back me up on this if you would, compliance pretty much grew out of legal historically, did it not? And, and maybe it was kind of isolated? Yeah, and, and perhaps not, not exclusively, but I think the overwhelming majority of compliance departments uh, tended to be started as an offshoot from a company's legal department and people were invited um, slash pushed into the role of a chief compliance officer when a company thought that they needed one. And oftentimes it was this internal transfer of a a trusted 
legal employee. And of course, times have changed now, but that is the um, origin story for many compliance departments of the past. I like the way you say people were pushed sometimes <laughs> into becoming compliance officers. That sounds like a, like a powerful thing. And, and when I think about power in a company, I know that marketing departments have, they tend to have power. They mm-hmm. tend to command big mm-hmm. chunks of a company's budget, you know, 10% or more. And mm-hmm. they're on the, the leading edge of, of what's happening with the company and with the company's growth, which makes, you know, making your, mar- making your marketing department an ally a good idea. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that's kind of been a, a recent evolution in compliance departments that they tend to reach out to marketing and, and make them a strategic partner as much as they can? Yeah, I think that's that's right, not just in marketing, but in terms of thinking about your wider departments within your company. For maybe about five years ago, there was a really big, we saw a big push at conferences in particular where there would be speakers talking about how you could leverage the other departments within your company. Because of course, remembering that Compliance has only so many resources, and if we're honest with each other, only so many skill sets, right? Some people make very fine lawyers and compliance officers and internal auditors, but they don't have a creative bone in their body. And Mm. so it would make sense to go, okay, hey, let's not um, waste our time on something drab here. Why don't we ask marketing for at least their idea on how to start a project? (laughs) Marketing people aren't considered drab then. Is that where all the shiny people are? All the Exactly. (laughs) All the sparkles um, from marketing. (laughs) That makes sense. Well, then would, would the next logical step be maybe having somebody from the marketing department be embedded in compliance, not, not permanently, but like sit in on, mm. the, on the compliance committees and that sort of thing. Has that been, has that been done? Do you see that happening in other companies? Yeah. Um, so not, not for me personally, but what I, I have been really pleased to hear anecdotally is that some companies have introduced a rotation through compliance. And so you would end up having all sorts of different skill sets and talents and experience levels coming through the department. And of course, there are a multiple benefits that this can have. One is that skill sets that compliance officers don't technically have are suddenly in the department and up for use. And then on the other hand, you have people who um, are always on kind of the receiving end of compliance and then they get to step into our shoes and go, oh, okay, Um, now that this is my nine to five job for the next three months, um, I'm slightly better able to understand where you're coming from and where some of your challenges are and how that can affect our relationship when I'm back on the other side as um, business development or, or what have you. So um, it's, that's something that's been trending in certain companies. I wouldn't say from what I've seen and heard that it's the overwhelming majority are, are doing this type of rotation. But in respect of your question, um, we we didn't invite uh, marketing as a whole um, to, to be a permanent member of the internal marketing team within our compliance department, but we did invite marketing to come speak to us and share some of the um, unique sort of um, subject matter expert points about how um, they market to their consumers and their audience to help us understand a little bit better some of the psychology behind uh, being in that job. Because of course, we were just kind of making our best guesses or putting ourselves in the shoes of 
consumers in the audience because that's who we are in many respects within a company ourselves, the stakeholders on the receiving end of other people's programs. Um, and so to bring in someone from marketing, um, at least just as a guest, we found that really helpful. And, and um, I wish that we'd actually done it at the beginning. So one of my colleagues, um, Alexis, she invited someone from the marketing team from her particular business that she looks after from the compliance side. Um, his name was Jimmy and he came in and he was fantastic. And if I were to do this all over again or to give advice to someone else starting up um, a similar group within their department, it would be to get a subject matter expert in at the beginning to kind of lay the, um, you know, to, to give you the lay of the land and help you understand from the professional's uh, perspective a little bit better. Well, that must have been an inspiration. I, I mean, I, I recognize that you didn't do that from the beginning, but I can see how that might have really put some some wind behind what you were doing and reinforced mm -hmm. the notion that this was this was a great idea and that you were really going places with it mm -hmm. because you did take it a step further by actually creating a micro marketing department mm -hmm. within your compliance function. If you would just expand on that and and share with with the listeners about how you did it and how it came to be. Sure. So the credit for the innovation of the idea itself is not mine at all. Um, it came from my boss, Lisa Estrada, um, Chief Compliance Officer for Seniors Medical Care in North America. And Lisa, of course, has an episode um, earlier on for anyone wanting to, to listen to her other ideas. But this was um, a really interesting one. And when I joined the department back in uh, 2017, Lisa put me at the helm of this team. And for all others, it was a, a volunteer type team and, and I led it. And so she didn't, um, she didn't micromanage precisely what she wanted to come out of it, but she did make two asks of me at the beginning, which were, um, please create a mission statement um, to lay the foundation for our branding going forward and uh, to produce a compliance week. So with that, um, I uh, had the, the team um, and really collaborated heavily with them. So the idea of it was sending a message out to colleagues who weren't already on this pre-existing team. So Lisa did have it in a, in a looser format um, before. And then, um, you know, collect volunteers, uh, invite people to join and then we would hold fairly regular meetings to chat and um, establish what our upcoming projects and priorities would be. And what was really interesting about it is that people who, who themselves thought that they weren't very creative, they joined the team to challenge themselves to try something different, which I loved. Oh, and then, yeah. yeah, people who were naturally very creative, they were drawn to the team because that's not necessarily always a skill set that you get to use in compliance. And so what was really cool is that um, at that time I had quite a uh, compliance um, facing role. It was um, looking after operations for us. And um, I didn't really get to deal with everyone all that often, especially if they were uh, looking after other businesses. And then being a part of the marketing team was so fantastic for that. Um, the benefits that you get from a cross-pollinated group where it's bringing together people that you wouldn't necessarily encounter 
in your job on the day-to-day um, and get to know them better uh, socially, but also professionally, of course, as well. And it really grew my respect for my colleagues when I saw them in a different light, being really strong in areas um, such as on the creative side that I myself um, would admit that I am not the, the best in. Um, and the idea of it being volunteer, you know, people may be questioning at this point, well, you know, we're, we're already so busy. What is it that is going to make people just drop everything and take on this extra work? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Lisa had another great idea, uh, which was that um, as part of performance reviews for the, the compliance department, she added an element um, that a certain percentage of your final rating would be attributed to um, working on a departmental project. So by joining oh, the marketing idea. team, yeah, you could satisfy that. And of course, it's not the only thing that you could have done to satisfy that requirement, but it was a really good stimulator for some people that might not otherwise have joined it, and I hope for, for those who eventually did for that particular purpose, that they ended up enjoying themselves and having a really good time because I did get feedback um, later on more recently, which was that uh, the, the marketing team meetings were their favorite time of the week, and that made me so happy. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine that it must have been. And I, I love the idea that people that maybe had these latent talents or, or <laughs> yes. hires get to express them, you know, kind of like the, the president of the chess club has always wanted to be the star of the school musical and he finally <laughs> gets a big break or whatever. And, and your point about the, the cross-pollinating and just really being able to kind of build bridges with the other business units, there's no downside to that at all, is there? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, putting on my market hat and, and imagining mm-hmm. how you guys got this off the ground, I think about how any sort of marketing campaign gets off the ground. When you sit down with your new clients or you sit down with your team and you think, okay, we've got this, we've got this goal and we've got our strategies and we've got our tactics, but really, how are we going to do this? And we tend to break it down into semi-regular linear steps. And it seems we begin generally by saying, who's our audience? Who are we really talking to? Who are these people that we need to reach? And in particular, what are their pain points? Because for your marketing message to break through the noise, you got to talk directly to people's problems and position yourself, you know, whatever your product or your service is, as the best solution to that mm-hmm. problem. Did that kind of thinking, that, that way of thinking, guide or inform some of your planning in the early stages? Yeah, I would say definitely. So uh, we were all very aligned about um, the fact that the business is really busy, right? So we have to make our airtime count. We don't have unlimited people queuing up um, to, you know, to learn more about compliance. (laughs) Although, you know, I will tell you... (laughs) I will tell you about um, a really lovely anomaly, which is that during our compliance week, one of the events this year that was held um, out in the western suburbs of Boston, where we are headquartered for our uh, America's businesses, sorry, I should say America's, I'm uh, North America businesses, Um, we were serving a barbecue lunch as the compliance department and one gentleman was chatting with me and he said, oh, um, you had that interview uh, with Lisa Estrada, Uh, you have a podcast. 
and you could have knocked me over with a feather because this was not, you know, this was not another colleague in compliance or legal. This was a gentleman. I don't, I, I can't recall now which business precisely he was in, but he had taken it upon himself to learn more about compliance and, and oh, you nice. know, volunteered. Right. And I was just so thrilled. Lisa was really pleased as well, obviously. Um, and so I, but I think that is probably the minority, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're probably not all quite that, that ripe for your messages. They're not that ready to convert, <laughs> or as we say, not quite that far down in the marketing funnel. <laughs> I was. Yes, no, he was fantastic, actually. So that was a very pleasant surprise. But I'm alert to the fact that not everyone is is like uh, that exemplary young man. And so what we need to be really clear on, and this is just as important when um, creating compliance training, is asking ourselves, and you know, um, or, or being clear about, this is not an issue of what do I want to talk about as a compliance nerd, but rather, as my colleagues' time is precious and I'm making that airtime count, what do they need to know and how can I bring that to them in a way that is accessible for them, not just at the time of communication, um, but also so that they can refer to important points again later. So that remained um, front of mind for us, that uh, this is not a luxury. We are not entitled to the time and attention of mm-hmm. our colleagues. So we need to be cognizant of what is going to be the best way to reach them. And remember that we have a hugely diverse audience. One of the things that fascinates me about just even just taking into account the United States is that it, I often think about the US as kind of like its own globe. Like you guys have different climates, cultures, accents, <laughs> just in this one country. And so it actually it doesn't surprise me that, you know, some people have never traveled outside of the US because you kind of have your own little world right here. But anyway, that, that's an aside. What, what I, I mean to say is that even in one country where you can have so many different vantage points, experiences, and views, you've got to be especially aware of that when you're communicating because, of course, communicating to one person um, who has one life experience is not going to be, the, the message is not going to be received or even heard at all in the same way that you might communicate to even the person sitting next to them. So those were the key things that we kept at the front of our minds um, is that our audience um, is not necessarily making a, a big race to come and sit down and, and hear us speak um, and that there are different people as well. When we're putting together campaigns and marketing, we talk about developing customer personas where we actually make up these fictional characters and we give them names and job descriptions and life experiences like Joe Schmo went to this college and makes this much money and drives this kind of a car and Susie Q has three kids. And and we do that so that when we are developing our messages, we, we are really, really targeting who they are, who, who that person is, who's going to be on the receiving end. And I would think that in an organization, as you said, all the, the, the different cultures and the different geography, mm-hmm. you've also got age types. You've got, mm-hmm. you've got millennials that are going to hear things one way through their filter. Mm-hmm. You have people of all different backgrounds and, and that sort of thing. Did, did you find that you, that you actually got that granular ever in the way you put your content together? 
Yeah. So, um, and what we found kind of interesting is, uh, and I guess it's why you should never judge, um, activities that we hoped would really appeal, for example, to the millennial audience were actually picked up and and participated in by folks from all the the different uh, demographics of age. And so, um, we found that sort of there was no real point just necessarily targeting what you thought was a a different demographic, but rather ensuring that there was a lot of variety, not only in your content and your message, but also in the way in which you were delivering your message. So my example of this, um, and we got this from um, a colleague um, named Nick Stumsky that he had prepared for um, his business. um, And it was, it's called the emoji game. And, um, Nick had come up with this idea of representing compliance policies with emojis. And so, of course, you know, we know that the millennial generation, which is in fact my generation, and so I, I will not say a bad word about it, um, <laughs> um, you know, we, we uh, especially the ones who are at the other end than me, have, have, have literally grown up with technology. Um, on my end, we're supposed to be more um, technologically adept, although that doesn't actually appeal to me. So again, let's not, uh, let's not place people in categories. Because the it's fine. It's fine. We all, we all know that I'm not a millennial, that I am I'm the generation that preceded yours and I'm not offended. I, am, I was late to the emoji party, but I do know how to use them. So. You do, you do. Um, and so, you know, what was really cool was that we had all sorts of different people entering that game where they had to um, break down the emojis to work out what the compliance policy was that was being represented by the line of emojis. So um, I, I would say that we that was you know definitely something that we considered at the beginning. We really didn't want to make sure that anyone was left out. Yeah, um, and so I, I think that the principle that that's come to work for me is it's again it's the the shotgun approach of Let's do lots of different things in lots of different ways and hopefully we'll somehow manage to touch everyone or almost everyone who wants to be touched. Right. Something will stick. Something something will work. Well, that that's a great segue into the next thing I wanted to cover, which was just about content. As marketers, Mm -hmm. we create and we package our messages as content. You know, we don't just stand Mm -hmm. on the street corner and and run our mouths. We we create things and we try Mm -hmm. to do it to as high a standard as our resources allow. Mm -hmm. Um, Great copywriting, if we can pull that off. Good graphic design, if we can afford it. Video, that sort of thing. And of course, resources are always scarce. Um, We're always trying to do more with less. But with the overall goal of branding, we're creating Mm -hmm. content that would would give our messages a unique look Mm -hmm. or a recognizable voice. Did the concept of branding come into play with your committee? And if if it's a challenge, how are you meeting that? Yeah, it absolutely did. And it also, you know, you're you're right to mention challenges because I think one of our largest challenges came with our, you know, we had um, good intentions with branding. Um, So I'll start off with going back to what Lisa had first requested of us, which was um, the, the mission statement. And that ended up for me, like I really drank the Kool-Aid after we had crafted our mission statement. And if you'll permit me, um, I want to read out to you. um, It took a lot of work to get to this very simplified passage, but this is what we came up with for our mission statement. The ethics and compliance department serves as an informed business partner, helping to guide for seniors medical care on appropriate paths to success. 
we assist in identifying and measuring potential areas of risk and monitoring to support compliance. While honesty and integrity are everyone's responsibility, we are here to help the business navigate through complexities and provide timely education, advice, and solutions. And so that very oh. simple passage. That's, did you I, I just have to say that's that's lovely. That covers all the bases, and particularly considering it was written by a committee, which is mm-hmm. never easy. And that's that was the thing. And the thing is, the the committee. Um, what I really enjoyed about this committee was that we had some great colleagues working together on these projects. Some really, you know, lovely cooperative. It was such a harmonious environment um, when we had these meetings, and so it was. That at least there wasn't that type of issue in terms of disagreeing with each other. What was difficult, though, was the idea of taking everything that a compliance function does and then distilling it into a very simple and accessible passage. And so um, one of the things we wanted to do as well is that even though there was a committee involved, we still, you know, because this was on behalf of the whole department, we wanted to make sure that people did have some input and buy-in. And so at the beginning of the process, um, I ran an exercise at a department meeting whereby I used um, Poll Everywhere to do a word cloud exercise. And I asked our colleagues things like, um, what color do you associate with compliance? And that was to uh, to help with the color branding uh, further down the track. Um, What animal do you associate with compliance? (laughs) Just in case we needed um, a little... um, The mascot. Exactly. The word had gone out of my head. Thank you. Um, And I also asked um, about, you know, from a neuro-linguistic programming perspective, what word do you most not want to be associated with compliance? And what word... um, you know, are you most comfortable or most satisfied um, of being associated with compliance? You're going to tell us those words, aren't you? <laughs> just that, I won't, I won't go through the whole thing, but just for that latter one, um, the department, the, the key word that came out was partner. And that probably partner. isn't a surprise to most oh, of our, nice. our listeners, right? So our aim as compliance is to never be the policeman or the people who always say no. It's to be a genuine uh, business partner and enabler of business. And so we made sure to get partner right into the um, the initial element yeah. of that passage. And at the end, you know, once the committee had agreed on something that we were happy with, and again, it took a long time to, to boil it down to that, that simplified text, we then shared it with the rest of the department to make sure that we had 100% buy-in and offered people the opportunity to comment. Um, but I think, you know, it was it was pretty well received um, in terms of, you know, there, there there was very little, I think just one word was suggested to be changed at one point and, and then we were able to confirm it as being our official mission statement. And so that lay the groundwork. And I want to share as well an ancillary benefit of, of doing this work to do a mission statement for the compliance department. And that is that um, it is great for giving, it's twofold, great for giving compliance department members new to the field Um, an opportunity to understand what it is that we do and have everyone on the same page as to purpose and goals. And that's really important. One, because of course you want that generally, but two, from a um, a measurement perspective, um, this type of thing is often measured in employee satisfaction surveys, right? Like we get questioned um, about whether we understand our joint goals or our job purpose. So when you have that mission statement and everyone's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fully in agreement with that. That is totally what we do. 
it means that you've got one step closer um, on your employee satisfaction side because people aren't wondering how their small puzzle piece fits into the wider picture when you have an established mission statement. So as I said, I drank the Kool-Aid from that one and I'm really glad um, that Lisa, not made us, but you know, that she um, requested that we go through that exercise. Boy, props to Lisa on that one because it's it seems so clear now as you unpack it that mm-hmm. her her goal was not that you would produce a mission statement her goal is that you would go through the process of getting on the same page that, you know where it was more about the journey than the destination in other words absolutely a wonderful and exercise not to derail our conversation but um one of the other things that lisa introduced and um she did borrow this from another company um, but it was the idea of um, risk reference cards. And I believe the company to correctly attribute this to is Coke Industries, K-O-C-H, not um, C-O-K-E. Um, and risk reference cards are basically um, a short form reference card to key risks um, that you face um, in the business. And you can use them um, not only for the compliance department to fully be cognizant of those risks and break them down, but also as as training cards for the business. And we found that um, actually taking a lot of our risks that, you know, we just refer to like, you know, anti-bribery or reimbursement integrity for those of us um, in the healthcare space. we kind of feel like we get what it means in compliance, but when we had to sit there as a group and really break it down into its key components and then simplify that and put it on a one pager, um, that the value that we derived was in that um, iterative process of getting the card into its final format. So another example of um, something that we did, there was an end goal in mind, but as you point out, the journey was as important as the product at the end. Wow. For the sake of the team and the team building mm-hmm. as well. That's wonderful. Um, the next thing that comes to mind, Mary, is, is tools and measuring. Marketers mm. always say, and of course lots of people do, but we marketers always say, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, do you take a cue from, from that sort of marketing ethos and, and measure your efforts? I would say that this is an area for opportunity for us. So it's certainly not as formal as I think um, that you might be thinking of, but I'll share what we've done um, to, to date. So in compliance in particular, I place a lot of weight on unsolicited favorable feedback. Um, this year we had a prize at a Compliance Week event of an iPad and people got a raffle ticket on entry Um, to go into a draw to win the iPad. And so we were able to take note of the level of engagement in terms of attendance um, through uh, that contest by counting up the tickets at the end. And then, of course, the contests where people had to submit entries through to the dedicated email account. So there's certainly a lot more that we could do, but we have started thinking about, okay, what are the ways in which we can measure um, the levels of participation that we're getting and where is it coming from. Um, we certainly have taken into account the feedback that people give. Um, and it's been largely super positive when it comes to our Compliance Week events. Um, people were saying this is the most fun week I've had working at the company. Um, they um, say that they are really excited about the prize that's up for grabs and so on. And so um, 
that sort of, that feedback that comes without people being put on the spot, they've volunteered it themselves. Uh, I think that's a really great measurement, um, but I'm a high level person. So you might be frowning at me right now. <laughs> um, so I'd be um, curious to hear from you, you know, based on what you've heard, are there any standard measurements that a marketing person might use that you would suggest to us that we could think about for KPIs or other forms of measurement? I actually would. And, and mm-hmm. I, I would need to know more just, you mm-hmm. know, generally about sure. how, how you were getting your messages across. Like if you had an, an intranet or if you were doing a lot mm. of emailing or sending out newsletters, because mm-hmm. when we do those things on behalf of clients in the marketing world, mm-hmm. we use the kinds of automating tools that allow us to see things like how many people opened our email, mm-hmm. how many links were clicked on, uh, how long did they watch the video? At what point did they drop off? We do page level tracking on websites and with things called heat maps where you can tell mm-hmm. where a cursor was moved and did the eye go straight down the left side of the page and then briefly up to the right before they clicked away and got bored. Those mm-hmm. types of those mm-hmm. types of tools that really measure a viewer's engagement. Mm-hmm. If you pay attention and respond to the data that those tools can generate, they can be really, really valuable. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times we measure things just for the sake of measuring because the Mm -hmm. tools can do so. But if you really take the time to go back and look and and try to pivot and change your message and and tweak it and constantly test things, A, B Mm -hmm. test of of headlines and that sort of thing to mm-hmm. see how it impacts your engagement that could be really really useful if if you guys got into a really sophisticated level of producing content and sending it out across different kinds of channels mm-hmm. it might be really interesting to team up with whoever in your marketing department is in charge right. of automation and analytics and yeah. see if you can kind of hold hands on that yeah because i was just thinking this sounds awesome makes total sense in fact um, I believe Tom has access to a lot of those analysis tools for this very podcast and and the rest of them that are on his channel in fact Um, but as a layperson um, who's very budget conscious um, I I thought wow this this sounds like it could be expensive but if we were able to partner with marketing who may already have these uh, tools right. in place, yeah. then the economies of scale, um, if anything, you know, if, if, if anything extra would need to be shelled out, um, would certainly be more favorable. So I love that. That's a great idea. Um, and certainly um, something that we, we should think more about as we look to the future now that the, the team is more established, what can we do to bring it to marketing team 2.0? Right, right. And that'll point out opportunities. Like if you start to see, well, this is this is working, and then you ask yourself, well, why is it working? Let's do more mm-hmm. of what works and less of what doesn't. And that makes me think about the role in marketing messages, the role for things that are just fun, fun mm-hmm. and funny and quirky. You mm-hmm. mentioned your, your compliance week. Um, what what kinds of fun and cool creative stuff have you done? Tell us a little bit more yeah. about Compliance Week or anything else that's just kind of oddball that's worked well. Yeah, so Compliance Week was a great opportunity for us to try different things. And I think one of the, you know, I guess oddball parts is the idea of taking your compliance team and maybe putting them in a situation um, or an environment where they interact with colleagues and it's not 
the typical, it's not what you would expect of team compliance. And so I've got a few examples here that I wanted to share with you, Sarah. So the first um, was that we try to keep basically just everything fun. And so, for example, one event, um, we named it Compliance Campfire. Uh, come see us for more information. Um, and so, and we gave out hot chocolate and, and of course, um, informational um, quick reference sheets um, and, and s'mores. Um, although I will say in the United States, and I'm not sure to exactly how many other countries this would apply to, but because of health and safety issues, um, I was entirely unsatisfied with my first s'more experience because <laughs> it, we couldn't... You didn't have a fire, did you? It, we did not. We did not. Spoiler alert, no fire. So... Um, oh, those compliance people, they take the fun <laughs> out of everything. You know? <laughs> Sorry, was, no fires. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so, you know, what's really funny for me is as a compliance person, whenever I'm put in the shoes of the business and someone's says I can't do something in a way that I want it to do and I think gosh this must be how it feels for for them a lot of the time yeah exactly and of course you know a lot of us we really try to never say no but sometimes there are things where you're like you know I'm just definitely we can't take that path and so you actually are saying no even though you're doing your best to think up alternatives so troublemakers Exactly. So I couldn't, I couldn't get my fire. Um, and then another thing that we did, you know, I've mentioned Lisa um, and, and one of, so, you know, something that I've talked about, I think in a, in a previous episode um, with Kirsten Liston was I like to use compliance week as a two-way feedback mechanism. So not just us imparting compliance education, but also taking it as a, a really great opportunity to catch some more candid feedback from our mm. colleagues. And um some of it is very sort of conscious and some of it is is less direct. So, for example, we used um, Jeopardy-style uh, quiz games to ask people compliance questions. Um, at this carnival that we had last year, we had a, a wine ring toss game where you could take um, a ring and throw it over the neck of a bottle of wine to win that bottle. Um, but in order to earn your rings to throw, you had to answer up to three compliance questions correctly to get up to three rings to have your opportunity um, to get your wine. And so oh, one of our You didn't work for your wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're compliance, you know, we wanted it to be kosher. <laughs> um, and so we asked... Um, we asked what I thought were, you know, very baseline, very basic questions. And one of them was, what is the name of um, the chief compliance officer of oh, no. America? And um, and a lot of people didn't get it right. And they weren't necessarily totally off base. Like maybe they'd answer their own sort of local compliance officer um, or someone else in the compliance department that they worked with a lot. And, you know, it makes sense, right? Like if that's the face that you see all the time, that's the face of the department for you. So it's a, it's an answer that makes sense. But what I wanted to do with that information was ensure that it didn't go to waste. So I thought about how can we use this next year to ensure that um, Lisa is better well known and, um, and associated with the title that she has. And so um, this was not my idea. It was one of my colleagues. They came up with um, the idea of why don't we do a flat Lisa So we got Lisa's consent, you know, she was really cool about this, to have um, a photo of her disseminated as one of the um, activities. And people, yeah, people would take a selfie of themselves and they're told, you know, this is Lisa Estrada, Chief Compliance Officer. Like those cardboard stand-ups? Exactly. Oh, cool. (laughs) So we had a flight, Lisa. um, uh, We we could not send out uh, 70,000 cardboard leases to everyone but they got a soft copy that they could print out um, and uh, take a selfie of themselves with Lisa and then caption it, 
And of course, you know, compliance related captions would be obviously well favored by the judges for this contest. And so it's things like that. And I have to really give props to Lisa um, for being like, okay, this is kind of different. Hopefully no one's going to abuse my image. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, that takes, that takes a health, that takes some healthy self-esteem and a it does. sense of purpose yeah. about what you do yeah. that you're willing to, you know, have cardboard stand-ups of yourself left around unattended. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? For her. People, people were great with it. We got some fantastic, um, things through, um, you know, nice puns were coming in, um, in pictures with Lisa. And with those um, activities where people have to really put more effort into it, I make sure that um, though there's like a major prize that we always send some kind of compliance thank you with little goodies in it because it does take a lot. And it takes a lot, you know, to put your own face in in a photo and then send it back to us and trust that we're not going to do anything crazy with it as team compliance. And so... That's another example. And then um, just finally on this point as well, there was an inflatable obstacle course at our carnival last year where we raced our colleagues as well. And so to see compliance sort of get out there and I felt like such a fool. I am really not fit at all. And um, and I laughed the entire time as I, I tried to get through the course. And I got stuck at one area. Oh, to, good. Like, How you know, much strength. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it was really cool hearing colleagues say, Mary, I, kn- I knew that you were in the course at the time. I, could, I couldn't see you, but I could hear you. Um, <laughs> so um, it, was, it was things like that that I, I hope is somewhat outside of the box that put people um, in a position of seeing us as as real human beings, as people who want to have fun with them and just in a different light. To approachable. Mm-hmm. Infinitely approachable and, and no downside to that either. Wow. Mm-hmm. Th- this is something that people are going to look forward to on an annual basis. Yes. Yes. I hope so. I hope so. Well, tell me now that now that you're just about a year into it, mm-hmm. what advice would you offer to others who are just beginning to embark on this innovative idea? Especially mm-hmm. those who who think, "Ah, oh, it'll never work. I'll never be able to sell this up the chain or mm-hmm. pull it off." What what advice would you give them? Yeah, so um, I will share my lessons learned. So one, of course, I think you know we referred to earlier. It, w- it was would have been a great idea to have someone from marketing come in earlier. Another thing that I learned the hard way was that putting a marketing team in the department does not mean that you're free from uh, the company's style guidelines or oh. answering to the actual marketing team. So, um, oh, that's yes, right. Yes, I failed fast um, in some, <laughs> some respects on that one. And what we learned was, and so, you know, you, you asked earlier about, am I going to go through all of the things that the word cloud told us? And one of them was that the, the color that, that came through that we actually picked up for suggestion as being our, our department color was periwinkle blue. Mm-hmm. And I love that because the Fresenius blue is really bold and striking. It's kind of a cross between a royal blue and a cobalt. It's a strong color. And then what I loved about the idea of periwinkle blue, which is a kind of cornflower pale blue, um, was that it was more gentle. And yeah. Um, yeah, and it was just something that in compliance, you know, we, we don't want to be the hammer that's coming down all the time. So I love the idea of something gentle. But um, 
apparently it's not always the way that you can just go about deciding even intra-department company branding without the marketing team. So what Yeah, they're pretty persnickety <laughs> about that sort of thing, aren't yes. they? Yes. So what I would recommend definitely um, is not only inviting marketing in to give you some professional insights from the start and, and perhaps um, sort of planting the seed for working together for measuring your success, but also for understanding what is it that you have the autonomy and freedom to do and what is it that um, they absolutely cannot budge on. So that would be... Where are the boundaries? Yes. Color in the lines. That makes sense. Um, And so another one was what was really interesting to me is that we had colleagues in the department who didn't actually want to be on the marketing team, but they wanted to be consulted with a lot, which I I found... um, not the easiest to reconcile um, because, you know, I think if you want a seat at the table and there is a seat waiting for you, just, just go sit in it. Um, but, you know, there were some people who didn't want to sit at the table, but they still wanted to have a really strong say in what went on. And so um, we just ramped up our communication to make sure that the whole department was um, feeling more involved and it wasn't just a unilateral um, downpour of activity that was being forced upon people from the marketing team so that um, ensuring that the lines of communication were open throughout the department, uh, I think, helped us um, in that respect. So that's one of the things that I would recommend as well. Um, one of the things that we we found difficult to surmount, um, and I'd be interested if anyone listening has any ideas for this, we did find it really difficult um, to incorporate remote members of the department. Um, We found that we did a lot of whiteboarding, things like, um, you know, really boiling down the the mission statement um, and and planning activities where we had to um, inspect sites and so on. It was a little harder to incorporate remote staff. What we did do, yeah. yeah. Um, What we did do was set up a monthly, um, and then, of course, around compliance week, it was more frequent, um, catch-up calls for the compliance officers. So, because, you know, they're the ones who are actually executing on the compliance weeks and they're on their particular sites. And we did not want to be too prescriptive at all because we figure that the compliance officers know their own audience the best. So, we want them to be able to think about, okay, what's going to work? well? Is it going to be a lunch and learn? Is it going to be a barbecue? What's going to appeal to to my audience the best? Um, But we found that holding that catch-up call and giving people the freedom to manage their own site events worked quite well. Keeping remote teams together and making them feel like they're engaged is a huge, huge challenge. If any of your listeners weigh in and and have suggestions about that, I hope you'll share it with me because my Mm. employees are remote too. And so I I feel your pain on that one. Well, and that's an interesting one, Sarah, because actually one of our um, main objectives in Compliance Week as we've continued to grow it has been considering how how are we going to get to our audience of, you know, 70,000 people um, when you don't conveniently have all of those 70,000 people sitting conveniently in a metropolis where the compliance offices of our company sit. And so um, we found that a lot of these remote activities like the Jeopardy game and offering up a prize, which we would mail out, that was a great way to engage colleagues that couldn't necessarily attend our barbecue lunch 
um, out here in Waltham, but that they would still have a chance to be involved and learning and included. And I'm sure that we can do better at this. This is something that I don't think you can ever really say 100%. We, we, we've done that and we don't have to think about it anymore. Um, but I'm really proud of how far we've come in terms of opening up our compliance week and making it accessible to more people um, as the years go on. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Hey, I've got I've got one last question for you, though. Sure. You managed to create this micro-marketing department in your compliance department. What business unit do you have your eye on next? Who, who are you co-opting next? I want to be able to yeah, warn the other people in your company that you're coming for them, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I was Second thinking feet. before this, there are a lot of different things. And it doesn't even have to be another department. Like, there is nothing really stopping you. If you don't have um, a designated um, AI team member or staff member, or um, sorry, data analytics um, there's nothing stopping you from putting together some, you know, really interested people in that area and getting them to start analyzing things like, you know, as you point out, um, maybe how well your communications are being received, um, but also on the, the compliance side as well. People hire data analytics specialists, but why not start with some of the basic stuff that you can start teaching each other in-house um, or bring in an expert um, to maybe talk to the team to help set them up for success and learning a new area. And on that point, um, I'm really lucky in that um, I have very strong leadership um, at Fresenius Medical Care, not just in uh, the United States, but also in the other regions as well. But it so happens, um, again, our, our general counsel out here, in, um, well, she, she lives in Florida, um, Karen Gledhill, um, she thought of something similar, which has worked fantastically in our legal department, which is that she installed a professional development committee. So she's got team members who volunteer to be on this committee and they do things like um, consider um, guest speakers that they can bring in, um, um, sharing webinars, white papers, um, probably getting the best deals on conferences. I need to actually um, invite myself to a session to find out a little bit more about the ins and outs. But as soon as she told me about it, my brain just started whirring about all the different possibilities because, you know, oftentimes professional development is something that almost every single employee wants. You don't have to be, um, you know, any particular age. Everyone wants to have the company invest in them and their growth in some way. And so to have this special focus put on the department in this way when it's something that we want but don't necessarily have um, a, a conscious um, stream of effort dedicated towards, I thought that was a fantastic idea. And so my point with this is that it doesn't necessarily have to be another department um, that you, you think about making this uh, little compliance project team uh, to, to think about, it can be all sorts of topics. So data analytics, professional development, those are just what's at the front of my head right now. And I'm sure our awesome listeners could could think of others. Mary, I think with you at the helm, the, the compliance department can pretty much just take over the company one department at a time. And then <laughs> perhaps all of the US, North America, and then the world. Your your plan for, for world domination is, is obviously in the works. And I'm impressed. You're so kind. Today. This was so interesting. Thank, Thank you for you, letting Sarah. me ask you everything I wanted to know about what you're doing. I think it's fabulous. And I, I wish you the best of luck. And same to all of your listeners who may try to do the same thing. And I think they should. Thank you, Sarah. It was so fantastic having your Enjoyed it. Uh, expert opinion on here. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.